Please turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 12. After several weeks, we are going to finally finish this chapter. As we have been saying, this chapter marks the end of Jesus' public ministry in Jerusalem. From chapter 13 on, he will be ministering to and discipling his disciples, the apostles, in private areas with great truths. But what we have here in this final paragraph of chapter 12 is a summation of not only what he has been teaching recently, but all throughout this gospel. And so as we come to it, it will help us to understand and to know who our Savior is. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, as we open up your word, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our minds, open our ears, and fix our eyes on the Savior. Lord, we long to hear your truth. Because when we know your truth as you have given to it to us in your word, we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing him, we love him. And so we ask this morning that you would stir up that love in our hearts. That we would know the Savior and worship him. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. How important is the truth about Jesus? How important is it for us to know the truth about Jesus? We live in a world where people want their own truth. They want to be able to decide what is true and what is not. They want to have their own private truth, even if it doesn't 
comport with the truth of the world around them. People want their opinions to be ratified and confirmed. It's become a matter of course now that people watch the news or get the news from sources that will ratify what they already think. People will use algorithms, or rather have algorithms used on them in social media to verify what opinions they already have. And companies do this, I think, not to manipulate us as much as to make money off of us. They know that that's what the majority of people want. They want to be affirmed. And this is true not just of temporary things, it's true of the most important things. Life, death, eternity. People want their opinions about even the most important of things ratified. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that there are many different views of Jesus in our world. And we might ask ourselves... Is it really that important for us to sort out all of these views? Wouldn't it be okay to just let everyone have their own view of Jesus, as long as it's a positive view, wouldn't it be better to just allow for peaceful coexistence? Why do we have to have difficulties and, and challenges and debates and arguments? Is it really that important? We might think it's not that important. But Jesus does. That's why we have this passage this morning. Jesus is summarizing the most important points of his ministry. He wants to leave no doubt in our minds about his ministry. And so we must listen to Jesus. We must believe Jesus. And we must share Jesus' message. So this morning, Jesus tells us three very crucial things. First, he tells us who he is. Second, he tells us what his mission is. And third, he tells us what he expects of us. In our text this morning, we learn who Jesus is because he describes himself for us. We learn what his mission is, why he came to earth. And perhaps most importantly, we learn what Jesus expects of us. Let's begin then by looking at Jesus' description of who he is. Now, I will remind you that this is occurring at the very end of Jesus' public ministry. We have talked about this before. If you look up to verse 36, you will see that after Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And we would have thought that after Jesus had testified about who he was, after he had given the gospel, after he had spoken all the truth that he did, that everyone would believe and follow him. But the truth is that's not the case. We know from verse 37 that though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. 
And so now John, at the end of this chapter, at the end of this section of Jesus' ministry, he gives us a summary of what Jesus has taught and done. It's not dissimilar to what John did at the end of chapter 3, how he summarized who Jesus was and what his call to sinners was. And John wants our attention here. You'll note that verse 44 begins, and Jesus cried out. Now, Jesus crying out should get your attention, but even more than that, we are only told of five instances in which Jesus cries out. Two of them are when he is hanging on the cross. A third is when he calls Lazarus. He cries out to Lazarus to come out from the tomb. A fourth is when he is at the festival and he cries out, Come to me for living water. This is the fifth. So we can see this is a very significant paragraph. We are meant to look at it. We are meant to study it. Jesus starts by telling us who he is in verse 44. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now, this is a very unusual statement. What does Jesus mean here? We might scratch our heads and say, is this a typo in our Bibles? Whoever believes in me, believes not in me? What does that mean? But he believes in him who sent me. If we look at this statement closely, we see that it's not contradictory. But Jesus is making a point. He is pointing to the ultimate source of his authority. He is telling us that who he is, is the messenger of God. You can't know Jesus and not know him as the messenger of God. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the Father. That's what Jesus says. It's plain and simple. It's in black and white. It's not convoluted. It's a short sentence. You're not permitted to come to Jesus and say, well, Jesus is someone that had a bunch of good ideas. He had some advice for us. Some things we could take, some things we could leave. He's a very wise man. No, he's not. He's speaking for God. That's what you see here. You don't need to believe me. You don't need to believe John. Jesus himself said it. He's a messenger of God. And you see, it's important because the Father is the one who sent Jesus. And so the words of Jesus are not only his. They're also the words of the Father. Now, it would be, and it is, very important to hear the words of Jesus. But Jesus' words are more than his own. They're the words also of the Father. And that reminds us that the message of salvation that Jesus brings is a message not just from himself, but a message from the Father. The Father doesn't need to be convinced to save people. The Father is not angry with sinners and somehow Jesus bribes or convinces him to go easy on sinners. That's a false view, not only of salvation, but of God. We know God to be one, existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three of those persons work together to bring about salvation. 
Now, Jesus doesn't say it explicitly here at this point. But it is easy for us to see that the words that Jesus gives are the words that the Father gives, and they're the words that the Spirit gives. Because later in this gospel, we will see Jesus say, the Spirit only speaks what I give him to speak. So all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is speaking these words. But that doesn't lessen the authority of Jesus. Because look at what he says here. He says, believe in me. Now that makes Jesus different than any other prophet who had lived and spoken. Jesus is a messenger from God, but he is more than a messenger. He doesn't just have a message God has given to him. No, he also speaks on his own authority. Why? Because Jesus is God. There is no distance between the Father and the Son. There is such a close relationship between the Father and the Son that to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. You can't believe in one without believing in the other. That was the point of all of Jesus' miracles. They were to show that Jesus was God and that he had authority. Do you believe in Jesus? Jesus is telling you today that you have every reason to believe in him because of who he is. He's God's messenger. He speaks for God. Do you wonder why there are problems in the world? Do you wonder why God doesn't fix them? Or why God doesn't do anything about your problems? The answer is that God has done something in Jesus. God sent Jesus to speak the truth, to speak grace and hope. You must hear Jesus. But it's not just that Jesus speaks for God. He also reveals God to us. That's what he says here in verse 45. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Now again, this statement can be hard to understand. Does Jesus mean that God the Father looks like Jesus? The Bible, after all, tells us that God is a spirit and that he doesn't have a body. And we will recall that back at the beginning of this gospel, the miracle of Jesus' birth was that John described God in the flesh in Jesus. Something new, miraculous, so what does Jesus mean here? I think Jesus has to mean much more than a physical seeing. And we understand this as we come to this text. The word that John uses here for see, the word that Jesus uses for see, is not the common word. It's a word that means to observe something, to perceive it, and to make a conclusion about it. It's actually the Greek word that we get our English words theory and theorize from. You observe phenomenon and you describe what is happening in the phenomenon with a theory. Now, don't get upset with the idea that a theory isn't true. I, I challenge you to 
test the theory of gravity. You won't like the results. It's true all the time, everywhere around the world. What it means here is that Jesus is saying, if you see me, if you understand me, if you observe me, you will know the Father. It's not just a physical seeing. Jesus' character and actions are God's character and actions. To see Jesus is to see the Father. Paul puts it this way, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so, in every way, Jesus is God. This passage, then, is another example for us of the doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible. Oftentimes, people think that the Trinity is not found in the Bible, that we can't explain it away. Well, here is one perfect example of a text you can go to. There is clearly a distinguishing between the one who was sent, Jesus, and the one who was sending, the Father. But there is also such a shared identity, such a unity of the Father and the Son, that to see one is to see the other. The church did not make up the doctrine of the Trinity. It looked at God's word, and it drew conclusions from God's word. That is why there is a fundamental difference between Christianity and all other religions. Only Christianity says that Jesus is God. As fully God as the Father. So fully that to see Jesus is to see the Father. And this helps us to understand God. Do you ever wonder what God is like? Would you like to know your creator better? Well, you can. You know God by looking to Jesus. We know, for example, that God loves because we see Jesus love. We see him weep over Lazarus. We see him suffer and die for sinners because he loved them. We know that God is holy Because Jesus is holy. We don't have to wonder whether God hates lying or murder or theft because we see Jesus condemn these things. We know who Jesus is because he speaks for God and he reveals God. The next thing we see is Jesus' mission. What his mission is. What he came to do. And once again, we have a familiar theme in John's gospel, that of light and darkness. Look with me at verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now notice how Jesus describes the situation. He comes as light. He did not become the light. He already was light. This is once again Jesus highlighting his deity for us. God did not make Jesus a light for the world. Jesus is the light. Now, again, this is a summary and this should not surprise us because John says much the same thing in chapter 1. In him, that is in Christ, was life. And life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light and he comes into a world already in darkness. The world needs Jesus because it is lost. It is lost in darkness and despair. The darkness of the world is first and foremost spiritual ignorance. The world doesn't know where to go to find the truth. Not only does the world not know the truth, it doesn't even know where to go to find it. The world is the blind leading the blind. But the darkness of the world is more than just ignorance. It's also a moral darkness, a wickedness. The world is a place where wickedness and evil flourish. All you have to do is look around the world to see that that's true. Everywhere around us, there is abuse, murder, hurt, and pain. To deny that the world needs light is to have your eyes closed. You know, it's like the young people, perhaps some among us here, who want to sleep until noon. I don't know how you do it, but I know you try hard. And what you do is you find the thickest curtains you can find on your window and you pull that curtain shut. And some of you even have contraptions to keep the curtains together so that no sliver of light will come in. And then when someone comes in and says, the light is here, wake up and opens the curtains, you keep your eyes as tightly shut as you can. You're keeping out the light. That's the way the world views the truth of God. It's not just that they are not convinced. It's not just that they haven't been given information. They are hostile to the light of the world. They're hostile to Jesus. And Jesus' mission is to lift the world out of darkness and into his light. You see, we believe that we can avoid the darkness by having our good deeds outweigh our bad ones. That as long as, if the scales were fair, we've done a little bit more good than bad. That's how we can avoid the darkness. But Jesus tells us that that is not possible. He came because it's not possible. Because if we do not believe in him, the result, look at verse 46 is that we remain in darkness. Jesus' words are clear as day. We are in darkness. And we will remain in darkness unless we come to Him and believe in Him. And He is our light. Jesus is the one who overcomes the darkness. When you believe in Him, you leave the darkness behind. Listen to these words of hope from English Bishop J.C. Ryle describing Jesus in this passage. I have come into a world full of darkness and sin to be the source and center of life, peace, holiness, happiness to mankind. So that everyone who receives and believes in me may be delivered from darkness and walk in full light. 
Jesus has come to deliver us from darkness. Well, in verse 47, Jesus makes sure we know what his mission is. What's the result of him bringing light? He says in verse 47 that he has come to save the world. Now, he says this again in a bit of an odd way. And, and I, I hope that you're seeing now that the way that these statements are phrased, just a little bit difficult to understand, makes us pause and think about them. We don't rush through these statements. He says in verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, that almost sounds like it doesn't matter to Jesus whether you believe his words or not. What does Jesus mean when he says, I did not come to judge? Well, I can tell you for most people in the world, that is music to their ears. They will say to you, see, right there in the Bible, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge. Now, now why are you being all judgy on me? You're not supposed to judge. Jesus said he didn't come to judge. Why are you telling me what I can do and what I can't do? Why are you telling me what I have to believe? Would Jesus have done that? Sounds an awful lot like judging to me. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. You see, few people want to outright reject the Bible. They want to pick and choose. They want just the parts that they like. They love verse 47, but they don't want to read verse 48. We're going to get to that verse in just a moment. They love John 3.17, in which we read... For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn. No one's condemned. But they don't want verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, they want to pick and choose. We must be honest with God's Word. Even the parts that make us uncomfortable. But what does Jesus mean when he says, I came to save? He's telling us at his first advent, in his mission here, he did not come to condemn the world. That's what the word judge means here. But you see, he didn't need to because the world was already in darkness and sin. The world already stood condemned before a holy God. You don't need Jesus to condemn you to be condemned. And what Jesus is telling us is that his mission was to save, to rescue, to bring a solution to darkness and sin, to bring salvation for all who would believe in him. Without Jesus... There is no salvation. No hope. Jesus came on a mission to redeem and rescue. Do you believe that? Not just intellectually, but with your heart. Are you trusting Jesus to save you from darkness, death, and hell? Because that's why Jesus came. Without him... 
There is only condemnation. If you believe in Jesus, you can know that you are safe in Him. That brings us to our final point. Jesus has told us who He is. He's told us what His mission is. And now He tells us what He expects of us. I already hinted that there was more to verse 47. You see, the reason that we need saving is because there is a judgment. Stop and think about that for a moment. If there were no judgment, if there were no judge, if there were no last day, why would we need saving? It just makes sense. If there is no accountability for our actions, why would we need to be saved? But Jesus makes this clear to us. He tells us that while his mission was one not of judgment and condemnation, but salvation, it was only because there was already condemnation upon sinners. The world was already lost in darkness and sin. There is a judgment to come for everyone. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, And the last thing on your mind is the last day, judgment day. You may be thinking about school or work or how you can save money or the vacation you're going to go on or your favorite sports team. We can be distracted by all of these things and we do not fix our minds upon judgment day. Jesus is telling you that you better think about that. Because that judgment day is coming. No matter how young, no matter how old you are, you will be judged for your sins. If you reject Jesus and his mission of salvation, you will stand on the last day and be judged. There is no escaping it. You can't hide. Think about the metaphors that the Bible uses for this. People cry out and say, we would that the mountains would fall on top of us to keep us from God. We would that we could hide, that we could somehow find a place of relief. But over and over again, the Bible gives us this truth that Jesus gives to us, that there is a judgment day. And who will judge? Now, this is where we may be surprised, especially if after verse 47, we're counting on Jesus not judging anyone ever. The judge, Jesus says in verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You are responsible for what you do with Jesus' words. That's something you have to take account of. You are here this morning. Perhaps you came with great eagerness to hear God's word, to understand God's word, and to praise Jesus. Perhaps you came because mom and dad made you come. Or your wife made you come. Or your parents made you come. Or your husband made you come. Or because you think it's the thing to do. 
You have heard Jesus' words. You are now responsible. You can never say, I did not know. This preacher will come up and testify against you in the judgment. But you won't even need this preacher to testify against you. Jesus says, his words will judge you. Jesus came with words of salvation. Believe in me and be saved. But to reject that gospel is to be responsible and condemned. You can't reject Jesus and avoid judgment. And Jesus concludes the matter by making it even clearer. Remember, this is a summary of what Jesus has been saying throughout all of the gospel. In verse 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. Jesus' words will judge on the last day for, or we might even translate it, because I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment. The Father has told Jesus what to say. And Jesus' words come with his authority, but they also come with the authority of the Father. And the Father has given a commandment. Now, what is that commandment? Jesus says, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. The Father is commanding you right now to eternal life. Now, what does that mean? Because you might ask, isn't a commandment something I have to do? A commandment isn't a benefit I get. A commandment is something I have to perform, I have to obey. But you see, the commandment is what leads to eternal life. The commandment is believe. Believe on Jesus. Now, believing is not a work that we must perform on our own, to merit eternal life. No, but it is something that God commands us to do. He commands all men everywhere, Paul says in Acts 17, to repent and believe. It's not an option. The gospel is not a choice of appetizers on a menu. Well, I, I like the gospel, but you know, I really like Ramadan too. I like this idea of incarnation. Maybe I'll take incarnation this week and I'll take the gospel next week. No, it's not a menu item. It's a command. Believe and be saved. John put it this way. Quoting Jesus in John 6 verse 40. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The Father is commanding you now to come to Jesus. To receive eternal life. And Jesus is bringing his word to you so that you would know that is the Father's will. John is not going to let you miss Jesus. Over and over again, he gives us a picture of the Savior of the world. Jesus is the only Savior. 
There is no other place to look. You can't find hope and peace in the family, in money, or in self-improvement. John tells you who Jesus is. He is the one who speaks for God, and he is the one who shows you God. John tells you what Jesus came to do, to deliver sinners like you and me from darkness and to bring them into his marvelous light. And John tells you what Jesus expects of you. He expects you to receive his words and to act on them. To believe and be saved. It seems so simple. But for so many, it is so hard because it requires you to give up control. You have to submit to Jesus. You have to live for Jesus not for yourself. And that is the best place for us. Jesus is the only Savior of the world, including you.